This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here, really. It's Professor Ward Scott, but on Mondays, it's Coach Hogg in Coach Hogg's locker room. And uh, we got a special treat for you today. We've got a I mean, he's busy all day long appearing here, there, and yonder on his expertise and knowledge of this sporting world that has really become a professional world and a college world. And that's one of the big stories we're going to be talking about today on the Ward Scott Files, which is, of course, uh, taking place here in the Manly Warthog Command Center in the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Locally owned and operated, always use your local people. And we've got all our great sponsors here for you to check out. And we love the fact that some of you donate to help us also with the production costs. Every little bit helps. We've got so many things going on in the sporting world that I've expanded Coach Hogg's locker room today for quite a while because our guest, Franz Beard, actually he and I go back a long way, although we didn't really know each other in the day when he was on the state championship GHS basketball team with the greatest athlete to ever come out of Alachua County. We both agree on that was Eddie McShann. And France was on that team. I was a teacher and a coach there at the time. And I knew all these guys. And boy, were they a hot shot, great state basketball champion. Eddie could have been a champion, anything he did, all American football, basketball, you name it, he could do it. And uh, he's a story in and of himself. Now, Franz is with us, and we're going to talk, first of all, about anything he wants to talk about, of course, <laughs> if he wants to take off with those days. But the big thing that has happened to college sports is they're no longer college sports. They are now professional sports. And when you hear some of these numbers, they're going to boggle your mind on what's going on in what used to be a slush fund under the table. And now it's got an official title called the collective. And it's got an official rationale called the name, image, and likeness. I don't know what else to say about it, France. Welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Where have I gone wrong? Expecting everybody to be, as you said, Boy Scout? Well, you know, the idea used to be that you'd get two Boy Scouts and 20 psychopaths, and that's what you needed to win in football. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, as, as one guy once put it, he says, we helmet heads who knock, who, who beat each other silly. He says, we got to have a couple of Boy Scouts who think clearly to tell the rest of us what to do. And uh, that might be one of the best explanations I've ever heard about it. Because, Ward, you know as well as I do, it's not like high school where you where you can win with 22 good citizens. Uh, if you're going to win at this level, you better have guys who are borderline psychopaths who who play with. Ang- you know, I heard somebody say once, "I play angry," and you better have guys who play angry because 
they play with that motivation that it's a war out there and every single play you know you're fighting for your you're fighting for your future because if you're playing at this level at the University of Florida you're fighting for a chance to move on to the next level where you can uh make a lot of money you can take care of your mama you can take care of your family you can send your baby sister to college because you've done so well etc like that and it's a it's a whole different dynamic in high school. You can win in high school with twenty two good citizens who who say you know uh, good old good old uh, you know TikTok Tech. My high school, I love them, and I'm just playing for my high school. You know, you get to the college level, and yeah, you're playing for your teammates, but you're also playing for your future because now all of a sudden you have a financial dynamic that's been inserted whether that is the dynamic that gets you there to the school. NIL means now it's legal. <laughs> we, 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 used to, we used to say, well, gee, you know, you, you can't pay these players. We're clean as a whistle, but boy, look what they're doing up at Alabama. Look what they're doing up at Auburn. Look what they're doing up at Georgia. Well, guess what? Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia have always cheated. I guarantee you they have always cheated. You know, now the difference is you have NIL. Now it's legal. Now I can now I can go pay a player. And this is this is what the NCAA in its infinite wisdom. This is what they did. They unleashed on us. They didn't had no plan. They had no set of rules. If they had put in a set of rules, etc., like that. You could have changed the dynamic, but we hear that that expression word all too often. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Well, guess what? Once you unleash it, it's done. So you got two choices, which is one of them is they're going to try. They're trying to get Congress to intervene. Which, goodness, these people. You know, I have a better chance of. You give me an owner's manual and a 747, I got a better chance of flying that thing and landing <laughs> it without crashing and killing everybody on board than the NCAA does working with Congress of getting rules that work. What's your other choice? Your other choice is Division One football secedes. Uh. Because once they set up a new organization and everybody leaves for it, a new organization that has its own set of rules, you can put salary caps on, for example. You can say, okay, if you're going to if you're going to recruit high school kids and you're going to pay the high school kids, you can only pay them X dollars. You have another dynamic that's been thrown in there, and that is now the NCAA now the IRS is has telling is telling the NCAA, guess what? We're going to start taxing this NIL money. We're going to start taxing this cost of attendance money. It's only a matter of time, and mark my words, Ward, before the NCAA says that scholarship that you get for football that includes getting your iPad, your books, your you know all this this Nike gear that you wear around school and everything like that, all that becomes taxable. The whole dynamic has gone pro. But it's getting ready to change, and it's going to change because they have no they have no set of rules, and they can't do this. So the IRS, this is fair game for them. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, boy, that's going to cause, uh, well, I would think uh, some sort of skullduggery. I mean, <laughs> what kid, by the way, while we're talking about him, all about having a bunch of money, what more disastrous example do we have than Clinton Portis? I mean, here's a kid who came out of Gainesville High, your alumnus, um, $45 million contract, doesn't have a penny or a pot, as they say now, you know, to what end. God has placed the Purple Palace out on Monioka Road up for auction. I just, you know, who, and it's blaming the people like Tank or whatever his name, I guess, was that ripped off Fred Taylor. Maybe you know that story better yeah, than yeah. I do. Uh, what, 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 you know, where's that going? Well, this is part of the problem is this is why you've got so much, so many problems, I guess, is what you'd want to call it. Uh, I, I think of it as, you know, all we keep doing, we have this, we have this bonfire going and we keep throwing 40 gallon drums of gasoline on the bonfire, expecting that the bonfire is going to burn itself out. Well, the bonfire is not going to burn itself out because we do keep throwing those 40-gallon drums of gasoline on top of it. Um, I think you're going to have to secede because once you secede, you can set up beforehand, and this is what it's going to take. It's going to take some some foresight. It's going to take some money. But they're going to have to have an organization with a commissioner, give that commissioner uh authoritative power like Roger Goodell has with the, with the NFL, like Rob Manfred has with Major League Baseball, etc. Give this guy absolute dictatorial power. The best guy that ever, ever held the title commissioner in any sport without, without question was Pete Rozelle. Pete Rozelle was a great guy. But let me tell you something about Pete Rozelle. He was a ruthless, heartless, for lack of a better term, bastard. But he had to be because he's got all these owners who have billions of dollars who, quite frankly, you know, you use the term psychopaths that you need them for football. Well, what do you think these owners are? They're psychopaths who now all of a sudden they know nothing at all about sports but this franchise is like having a trophy wife. You can walk into a party. Yeah, I own the the Western Walla Walla Wolverines. That's my team. I own them. And by golly, look at me. I can get, you know, I got all these, I got all these young boys and they work from me. And that's the mentality of owners. And it takes somebody as a commissioner. This is why Greg Sankey is so good in the Southeastern Conference, because Greg Sankey makes the rules. And now people say, well, he he let one slip there with uh, the scheduling thing. No, Greg Sankey, Greg Sankey got his revenge. Did you see the scheduling that they have now that in the eight game schedule everybody's got in 2024? They're going to be begging Greg Sankey for a three six model after this because he stuck it to everybody. I mean, there is nobody. There is nobody that got a skate in this new schedule. Everybody's going to have to play play people, and they're going to get killed. We're going to have a 2024 season where we're not. We're going to be looking at nine and three, thinking, "Boy, 
They went nine and three in this league. We're not going to, the era of the undefeated team is probably going to end in 2024. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about how you succeed. Would that be what teams, uh, the big ones like Alabama, the big, uh, uh, and then we have a two tier system where we have the regular kind of, um, it's almost like intramural <laughs> in a way. I mean, is that what you're talking about when you're talking about succession? Well, no, what we're going to have to have is all of Division One. their football programs are going to have to secede and become autonomous, okay? okay. Uh, gonna, you, when you do that, they're going to have to set it up and say, okay, here's how we're going to handle it. We're going to put everybody, instead of NIL deals where where all of a sudden you've got the, you know, you've got Chico's bail bonds throwing a, a million dollars at a quarterback, Instead of that, you're going to have a salary cap put on there, and every school is going to is going to have okay. You've got two million dollars, let's say, in your salary pool. You got eighty five kids. It's up to you to figure out who's getting what. So if you want to pay your quarterback a half million dollars, that means you got eighty four guys that have to split up um, split up what's left of that, which would be a million five. You know, it's going to be dicey like that because, but that's what's going to have to happen. And you're going to have to say, okay, you can transfer, but here are the rules for transferring. You can't, you can only do this. Cause see, that's another screw up by the NCA was they set up these, these, you know, this, the open season with transfers with this transfer portal. uh, And they didn't have any rules in place for it. This thing has got to have a set of rules where you say, okay, these are your times you can transfer. These are the times you can sign. And and signing days and transfer portal timing has to coincide. You know, for example, the early signing period in December seemed like, you know, this is one of these things. If I ever write a book about myself, I'd name it. It seemed like a good idea at the moment. Well, (laughs) You know, the the NCAA, that's the way they operate. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the moment. The problem with the NCAA is they have, you know, they're putting ac- people who are academics, who have no clue, who've never operated in the business world, who have no idea what they're doing, and you're putting them in charge of a billion-dollar business, multi-billion-dollar business. And here's the thing. They have no clue in what they're doing. They don't know and understand it. This is why they got to succeed because you got to have a commissioner who understands that this is, this is an entertainment business. You know, we live under this guise of, well, we're getting these fine young men. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're giving them a scholarship and they're going to come out of here and be pillars of the community when they get out of here. Right. You know, how many of these schools, and you know it, Ward, you were a coach. How many of these kids get a scholarship to a school where they like the coach and they like the football, but that coach and that athletic director, they don't give a rat's ass about what happens once the kid leaves. So they're just rushing through. They're they're exploiting him on the football field, but they're giving him all these powder puff courses like in home economics and things like this. And he may come out there knowing how to bake a cake, but he has, no, <laughs> he has no idea how to balance a checkbook. Oh my God. Let me talk this with you a little bit because we'll uh, give the uh, 
the fans of the show here some numbers. Um, what are we paying these guys? And can we compete as University of Florida with some of these schools like Georgia? We're going to have to compete with them. It's not a question of can we. Yeah, we can. But, but the question has always been, do we want to? And Ward, the, it, we've gotten to a point where the answer is, if you don't compete, you're forever Vanderbilt. Wow. And, did, and, and did, does the University of Florida, with all of its high academic standards, with all of its increased academic reputation, you realize this is now considered one of the five best public universities in the entire country. We rank right up there. You know, we've always heard about California. We've always heard about the great academics at Michigan and, and University of North Carolina, University of Virginia, et cetera, like this. Florida is now considered one of the five top academic institutions in the country. So we've lived on this premise, this idea that, yeah, we're getting these fine young boys. We're going to give them an education here. We're going to make them pillars of the community in the future. Now you're not. Let's be real. You're not going to do that. So you're go- this is why you've got to separate the athletics. You're going to have to do it. Um, you're, you cannot let academics who have no clue, who believe in this amateur model, which has never really existed, and you can't, you can't keep them under this umbrella. You're going to have to break away where you got a set of rules. I heard somebody say the other day, why can't you go to school and major in football? If that's what you want to do, I mean, this is what some, this is what a lot of people are doing. So why can't you get a degree in football? And maybe when you finish out school and you have that degree in football, you can go be a real football coach somewhere where they will pay you a salary because the numbers are, uh, think about this, Ward. In in the NFL, you have 250 kids who get drafted. Now you think about this. You got 85 Division One schools, probably who average 20 kids who get who are seniors and leaving school every year. So right there, you got 1,600 kids, but that's just Division One. You got Division One AA, another hundred schools. You got Division Two, got another hundred schools, and then you get that rare kid out of Division Three who actually can play at this next level. Who is just one of these kids that was totally overlooked, and he goes to a place like Mount Union or Wisconsin Whitewater, where they have these beautifully run uh, Division Three programs that probably should be competing at Division One AA level or something like that. But you know. Think of all this, though. You've got probably a pool of 3,000 kids a year, and you have 250 slots. So that means, let's say, what's that, one in eight, one in ten? You know, I don't know. I'm not, I was never a math major. My dad could have figured this out in his head, but I'm, you know, I'm not a math major. But you've got, you've got 3,000 something kids and you got 250 chances so what happens to the other kids you know you better 
this is why another reason why you need to secede. If you secede, then you give these kids the option, and it depends on the school, it depends on your infrastructure. That's why I like what Billy Napier's done. Billy Napier has a staff that's large enough, and he's got an entire division that is there to prepare you for life after football. Uh, they took a trip to South Africa this year. They took a tri- they've taken a tri- trip out to Nike. Who did? Who did? The University of Florida. We had kids. In, yeah, we had kids in this who are in this program who are interested in getting this and learning about life after football because that's what the whole thing is all about is preparing them. And the schools like this, this is why Florida is going to eventually, maybe not this year, which is what people are saying is, you know, I hear all this crap about Billy Napier is on the hot seat. No, he's not. People understand what he's doing here. And he's getting, he, he has the infrastructure to build the program with a foundation. And right now, what, what he took over was a program with very little in the way of foundation. It had eroded. Urban Meyer had the good foundation, but you go to Will Muschamp, then you go to Jim McElwain, then you go to Dan Mullen. Your eyes were on the sixth coach we've had here since Steve Spurrier retired yeah. from the University of Florida. Six football coaches. That's insane. And if you keep changing coaches every three years, which is what that would average out to, if you change coaches every three years, you're, what are you going to get? You're not going to have a foundation. This is what Billy's done, and Scott Strickland is committed to Billy Napier being here for the f- duration of his contract. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, if he doesn't win this year, he's going to be gone. No, he's not. No, he's not, because he's building it the right way, and this is why, you know, when you lost Austin, everybody got in a panic, and they said, Austin Simmons has gone to Ole Miss, this quarterback, who is going to reclassify two years. Well, this kid is wasn't going to play this year anyway, so what's the big deal? They lose this kid, and Ole Miss made him a, made him an offer he couldn't refuse, apparently. And he so he goes to Ole Miss. There we have that NIL thing going on. You you lose this kid because they're willing to pay him more money. And his dad says, "Well, Florida's schedule is too tough." And besides that, they want DJ Lagway. Well, DJ Lagway is a five star quarterback who's going to be here in the class of 2024. Yeah, DJ Lagway is. It, you know, a lot of people are saying you got yourself another Tim Tebow here because this kid is that good. You may have a kid that's even a more refined Anthony Richardson. Okay. That's the kind of skill you get. You can wrap your team around. And that's what Florida's got. So this kid losing, they lost him for money, which is, I know I've, I've been rambling, but we've gone around, you know, around the world to get back to the same place, which is all about the green. Yeah, those numbers correct that I can we share those numbers that we lost a player to Georgia for? Let's not go with the exact numbers, but let's just say that that Georgia broke the bank for a kid and, and we were willing to pay him X number of dollars through our collective and Georgia broke the bank to get him. And apparently Georgia has you know, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like having the having the, you know, Micanope State Bank you know, in Florida and up at up at Georgia, they have the Athens the Athens International Bank. Okay, and Athens International is ten times the size of Micanope, Bank of Micanope. Well, it kind of works like that. Right now, 
Georgia is ahead of Florida in terms of money in their in their program. But Ward, Georgia's always had that. Georgia's always been spending the money. But we go back to NIL. Now it's legal. What does this do? We got some questions. What does this do to the other sports? Um, we just finished watching baseball and, you know, it's getting a lot of news and it's got good players. Uh, we got women's basketball. We've got the basketball men's program. Uh, anything? How, what, what, how's this all affected? Well, bat, men's basketball is is not as affected as football because you only have 13 scholarship players as opposed to 85. Your recruiting class every year in basketball, you may bring in two or three freshmen. And then you got what Todd Golden is doing is bringing in, who's recruiting through the portal. The, the, the portal, transfer portal has changed the recruiting dynamic completely. Back when you were coaching at GHS, you know, Jim Nyblack would always have about eight to 10 kids, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, but typically eight to 10 kids who'd get a football scholarship somewhere. Okay. Uh, and that football scholarship was good for tuition, room and board books, and such for the most part. But then you had schools out there that said, well, you come up here, we'll give you a brand new automobile. And, uh, I'll give you an example. Florida got a linebacker who transferred here from Alabama back in the Spurrier era. And he came in, and the first day he's on campus, he comes in and says, who's in charge of giving me my free car? (laughs) Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Oh, I know. And and Alabama went on probation for that exact reason. You know, they're 1999. They got hit with one of the stiffest probations there's ever been. They lost 21 scholarships out of that. Look at Uh, Charlie Pell. Look at Charlie Pell. Um, What do you do? Help pay a child support payment for a kid from Placa? Yeah, that was Galen Hall. $65. Florida got put on probation, Mr. Bowden, because $65 that Jarvis Williams' mother drove from Gainesville the next day to reimburse uh, Galen Hall for the money that he put out to keep his kid, keep the kid from being arrested for failing to pay his child support. 65 bucks. Well, 65 bucks is a drop in the, in the bucket. That's pizza money. As far as these collectives and people like that are concerned. I mean, you got kids, hundreds of thousands, even, you know, Tennessee's got a freshman quarterback. He got a, a he has an eight million dollar deal. Now, here's where the concern is, Ward. Okay, you're. Let's say you are a stud quarterback from 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 Walla Walla, Washington. Okay, you got everybody in the world after you, and I'm I'm the quarter. I am the head of the this little collective. Down here, down here at Palatka State University. And I say, okay, here you are. I'm going to pay you. It's all legal now, but I'm, I'm going to pay you $6 million to come here to Palatka State and make us NCAA, make us national champs. Well, here you come. And now I paid the coach. Now I paid the quarterback all this money. And I come to the coach and I say, now, you better pay this guy because 
or else we're going to stop giving you the money to get the guys you want. Okay, that's a that's a possible issue there. I'll give you another possible issue. Uh, somebody who just happens to be in this collective who may be behind it, all the money behind it, now has a has a slight gambling problem, let's say. And he sells the kid, okay, he tells Ward Scott, quarterback Ward Scott from Walla Walla, Washington. Um, you know, we may get in this game, and I got a million dollars on this game. I'm paying you all this money, but um, I need you some point in the game when you got a wide open touchdown pass, I need you to airmail it. Or I need you to have a snap when you're driving there for the winning field goal. And we're already seven ahead and, but we're ahead by seven. But if they, you kick a field goal, you bust the spread and I lose my money. So you better airmail that throw then, or you may fumble the snap or whatever, get you out of field goal range. People don't realize, but the door is open for things like that to happen. You know, when I first came here way back when, that was before, I was, while I was still a student, uh, Bronze, and you were probably in junior high somewhere or whatever. John Macbeth, I think, was his name. Mm-hmm. John you know? Macbeth. Yeah, no. that, that story. Turned into gamblers, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, they yeah. wanted him to do that very thing. Well... You know, Doug Moe got forever suspended by the NCAA from playing basketball at the University of North Carolina. Great player. Now, he eventually got cleared, but the reason he got suspended and and blackballed was because they said he had contact with gamblers. Yeah, the gamblers were people that he had known all his life growing up in Brooklyn. So what's he supposed to do? Connie Hawkins couldn't read and write. He's at Iowa. He got blackballed. He ends up playing for years with the Harlem Globetrotters before he got cleared, played in the ABA and then in the NBA. But you're talking about a kid who was a functioning illiterate. Great talent, tall guy, six foot ten, could do things with basketballs that very few people have ever been able to do. And yet a hawk gets banned. Why? Because and, and this happened 40, 50 years ago or more. Now imagine in today's era where we have made it all legal, now we have a Pandora's box where where now all of a sudden I'm a, I may be the shady character. And now because of NIL, now it's legal. Now I have my ability to get the hold of these players and get them to do what I want them to do. Ooh. Uh, we're heading toward a bad era. We're heading toward an era that if we don't get a handle on it, Ward, we're not going to recognize college football or college sports in another two or three years. From the Franz Beard, Gator Bait, might you know Gator Bait Media, check that out. Great publication, and Franz is uh, on podcasts all over the country all the time. We're lucky to have him here with us today for pretty much the entire hour, uh, talking about the Changing landscape, if you will, is one way to say it, of college athletics. Um, well, I'm going to forego our bottom of the hour traditional time for our weather and do that in about 15 more minutes because I think 
France has to uh, move along at about nine forty-five, nine fifty. Isn't that right, sir? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I got it. I got yet another one to go with. Uh, this one out of Memphis. Yeah. Well, anyway, about when you go in about fifteen twenty minutes, and I'll do the weather, and we'll move that back a little bit, make sure we get that done. So uh, I'm checking the chat line. If you have any questions, good morning, Jody Davis. Um, the money is really, I guess, that we're talking about. Essentially, we've been talking about football, but it's it's affecting every sport, right? Yes, there has to be money available for women's basketball. I know that. I know that for a fact. Um, is this the is this the new tapestry, new land? Is this the deal? I mean, college baseball, college softball. Um, let's talk about those sports for a minute, if we can. Well. You're talking about this. There's a difference with the women's sports. The women do not have these opportunities professionally. Now, they do to play overseas, for example, with volleyball. Volleyball is huge, for example, in Italy and in the Netherlands and Japan. Uh, professional volleyball in Japan draws sellout crowds in arenas. People don't realize that. So, so if you're really, really good, you have an option there. But for the most part, the girls come here to get an education. You know, there's not if unless you're an Olympic elite level athlete, you can be one of the great athletes in the NCAA. But it's these 16, 15, 16 year old pixies, you know, four foot ten who can who can bounce around and do all these handsprings and flips and flops and whatever they call them. You know, a uh, your chinko, you know, a uh, your chinko with a double twist, whatever that. It's, oh, that sounds like a drink to me. You know, you go to the bar and you say, "Hey, give me a your chinko with a double twist," and the guy says, "Well, sure." You know, uh, but that's a gymnastics term. And but these girls, unless you're an Olympic elite athlete, you don't have that opportunity. It's less of a problem there, but you do have Major League Baseball, for example. Ah, uh, you know, there's money there. Professional basketball. Do you realize that just about every single player that played for Billy Donovan played professional basketball somewhere? Maybe not in the United States or the NBA. Give you an example. Florida just got this uh, international kid, uh, who, you know, from Lithuania. Well, in, in, Europe, you got amateurs who can play with the professionals and they're allowed to get room and board and, and development money, et cetera, like that for their family, but they're still considered amateurs. But the kid from Lithuania, you know who was on his team? The center on his team was Kavarius Hayes. Remember him? The kid from Live Oak who in 2017, he was the center on a team that was within say a minute and a half of making the final four against South Carolina in that 2017 game. Uh, that was uh, Mike White's second year here. But Kavarius Hayes was on his team. He's playing in Lithuania, and they pay him a rather good sum of money. Uh, Walter Hodge, just now retired, he was uh, he was with the Gators through 2008, and he just retired after 15 years, uh, you know, Remember the, the meat hook, you know, uh, played yep. played for uh, uh, Lon Kruger. He played twenty years almost of, of professional basketball. 
and made a good living doing it. So all these guys on the men's side have opportunities that the women are not going to have. Uh, a, a, a high paying young lady playing in the WNBA may make $80,000 a year. You know, uh, a basketball player for the University of Florida who decides he's going to go play in France will probably get $250,000 a year. And plus, they'll give him a house and they'll give him a car and stuff like that. Um, Walter Hodge was the star of the Polish League for a couple of years. (laughs) I mean, things like that. Uh, You got guys that just play all over the world, all over the world. uh, And... They have opportunities, but my point being is this. Now, I know I'm rambling. I'm so, I apologize. I guess. No, it's making sense. I'm following it. I'm following it. The guys have opportunities that the girls don't have, so that's right. where the NIL money is going to be. People are getting their women's basketball team some NIL money where the girls are getting, say, an extra $2,000 a month. Well, See, they get cost of attendance. Every athlete at the University of Florida gets cost of attendance. Now, here's another thing that every athlete gets at Florida. Whether you're a walk-on or a scholarship athlete, you get three meals a day thanks to an NIL money. This is where NIL money does good work. And NIL money is not all about paying players under the table. But let's say I'm a, I'm a, a, a soccer player a women's soccer player at UF, and I'm a walk-on. I'm a pretty good player. I wasn't good enough to get a scholarship, but I'm a walk-on. The the women's coach can then, if you're really smart and you're a Florida kid, here's what they can do. They can get you on, if you're really smart, you get a bright future scholarship, and that bright future scholarship covers your tuition for four years, okay? So now, okay, I'm a walk-on. I don't have tuition there. I got room and board that's the, you know, and, and, but that really comes down to my room because guess what? I get the meals paid for. So I can be a walk on and all I got to do is my parents and, and this is where I can get a Pell Grant. My Pell Grant will, will give me the money that I need for to share an apartment with somebody. So the money comes in and, and you have this tapestry that you have to put together. Uh, and it even happens in the men's sports here. Okay, everybody, every football player, for example, gets the cost of attendance, which is about $5,000 a year. This is the NCAA said you could do that. The cost of attendance means that you can have money, for example, for gas for your car so you can go home to see your parents. You have money to go out and get a pizza, et cetera. Like that. Not a lot of money, $5,000, but that's say $450 a month that you didn't have, okay? You got your Pell Grant, okay? In addition to that, Pell Grant now is about $6,000 a year, maybe a little bit more than that, but now all of a sudden I've got $10,000 a year. This is where baseball comes in because, see, baseball only has 11.7 scholarships or 11.8 scholarships, but they have 27 players who can be on scholarship. So how does Kevin O'Sullivan do it? Most of his kids come from Florida. Most of them are smart enough to get uh, a bright future scholarship. So now all of a sudden he's got 11.7 scholarships, which means that let's say that scholarship is worth twenty uh, is worth $50,000, let's just say. So he's got a pool of, say, $600,000. 
Okay, so he takes that pool of six hundred thousand dollars or twenty-seven players, but they're all getting their they're getting the, they have their bright futures, which covers their covers their um, their tuition. They're getting three meals a day. So now all I've got to do, if I'm Kevin O'Sullivan, is all I got to do is cover their their housing and so forth like that. So he can make the money go a long way with that. It's it, we have entered this era where if you're a coach, you better have an understanding of all these things or else you better have a staff loaded up with people who understand how to make the finances all fit together. Because it, it it's not like when you played football at the University of Florida, okay, you've got your room board, you got your meals in the cafeteria, you got your your dorm room over at Yon Hall. Uh, you got your books every year, and you know if you were if you're most of your books, you were hoping that you got a book that somebody else had taken because he had all the yellow par things, <laughs> 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 all the good stuff. You know, if you're going with Professor Smith over there, uh, yeah. you know, teaching geology, for example, you want Professor Smith's book that has all the things, you know, in yellow. So I know what he's going to teach about. And I know what he's going to test about already. All I got to do is read the yellow parts. Yeah. You don't have to read the whole book. Just have to read yeah. the yellow, what's been outlined. And then you pass that on to somebody else. Well, the, the whole tapestry has changed. That was a, that was a Boy Scout world that you lived in, that you grew up in. Now, there were guys, you know, that got some money. You know, there was the $100 handshake. But let's face it, Ward, when you and I were growing up in the 60s, you, know, you were a young coach. You came to GHS, and you were just a little bit older than we were, and we were high school seniors. And by the way, let me correct one thing. I didn't get to play on that that GHS team that won the state championship because I tore a meniscus in between my junior year, so I couldn't play my senior year. I was on the team our junior year. We were actually the best team in the state that year, and we got upset by Winter Park in the district championship game. We there wasn't a team in the state we couldn't have beaten, but we had that you know we had that one bad game and we missed a bunch of free throws against Winter Park in the we lost that game fifty one to fifty. And wow! We, wow! Wow! We should, we should never lost that ball game. Um, yeah, Thomas France Beard, here, who has the Aderbait Media and is uh, on the call all the time by podcasts all over the country. Uh, I don't think there's a question you can ask him about sports that he doesn't have some detail about, which is one of the great things about the rock contour journalists, if you will. Of course, uh, uh, the great one uh, you and I remember had so much fun with was Jack Harrison. Oh. Uh, God almighty, I tell you what, we had more fun talking, he and I. He was a storyteller, a lampshade-type guy, you know, with a cigarette and uh, uh, one story after another. Who Have you ever seen anybody play tennis with a drink and a cigarette in one hand and a racket in the other, and he's still hitting the ball and everything like that? I played with him when he was doing that. Yeah. Throw the butts on the clay court and absolutely drive people crazy. Who'd be on that court after him? Oh my God! Let, 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 let me tell you, Jack was my mentor. Jack hired me. Uh, Jack was with the Jacksonville Journal, and I was working part time. I was working in high school my senior year. I'm working with the Gainesville Sun, working with Dave Hunter, and all of a sudden, along comes Jack, calls me up one night. Yes, sir. Jack Harrison. Hi, Mister Harrison. He says, "Want to work for me?" Yeah. 
pay 25 a week, which was big bucks. And those days I said, sure. He says, someone will call you tomorrow and tell you what you got to do. Click. I've learned in my in my years, Ward, whenever the, the whenever the interview goes 30 seconds or less, I'm getting the job. <laughs> but but, Jack, but yeah. Jack, I'll, I'll this is how how Jack understood how well Jack understood things. Jack's in hospice, and I'm there with him one night. And he started in 1950, and we went through the World Series for 20 years. And he told me every ball game who the winning pitcher was, who the losing pitcher was, and who hit the home runs in the game. Every single ball game in the World Series, year by year by year. That's how phenomenal this man's mind was when it came to sports and knowing and and understanding things. Jack Harrison was, we don't have people like that. Um, I I lament what is what is happening with the writing business. Uh, Back in the day, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a senior in high school and on Sunday morning, I get down to the hub where we had all these racks of newspapers from all over the state. You know, you had papers in Pompano Beach, Winter Haven, Lakeland, all these papers from all over the state. Uh, the Miami News, the Miami Herald. You go there and with a with a pocket full of quarters and you start picking up, you know, you want to see what Jack you want to see what Tom McEwen wrote. With the, the you had to, you know, that was must read. You had to go get the Jacksonville Journal in the Times Union because they combined on Sunday because you got Jack Hairston, you got Bill Castells and people like that. You you had to have that. You had to get, you know, you had to go find out what FSU was doing. So you got the Tallahassee Democrat, Mac McGrotha, all these guys. We had some some phenomenal writers during the, that era. People don't realize from the 60s through even probably through the Urban Meyer era. Florida had the biggest pack of journalists following the teams of any school in in the entire country. When Florida when Florida came to town, along came you know we filled the press box. I mean we filled press boxes everywhere. I remember LSU telling us, okay, you only have two spots in the press box, yet because we had to give three to. You know, uh, for example, the Orlando Sentinel, or we had to give four to the Tampa Tribune, et cetera, like that. That's the kind of following we had. But it was a great era when we had tremendous writers. One of my mentors was a guy named John Crittenden. I don't know if you remember him. He was with the Miami News and was later with the Palm Beach Post. Guy could talk about a storyteller. He was like Jack. But that we had, I worked at the Miami News on, on the sixth floor. One floor below was Eddie Pope with the Miami Journal, and they called him the Pope because he was he, <laughs> that that good, you know. I remember Furman Bisher coming in. Mr. Bisher always, this is why Tony bon- Barnhart, you see him come to a ball game, he's wearing a coat and a tie. It may be 108 degrees, and everybody else is in shorts and flip-flops because we have no air conditioning in our press box. And he's part <laughs> And Tony Barnhart is there in his coat and tie. You know why? Because that's how Mr. Bisher did it. Tony, T- Furman Bisher would come to the press box and it was like the Red Sea parted. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was sitting there. Holy cow. Furman Bisher is here. 
Ooh. You know, Jack and I used to, uh, after tennis, you could always tell that Jack had played because there'd be a group of guys underneath a big oak tree out there by the court sitting around, and you wonder, what are they doing there? Well, they're listening to Jack tell stories. And um, Jack and I used to tell stories, and he always wanted me to write a story. He said, Ward, when are you going to write that story about Coach Nyblack? And he wanted me to call it Biggin. And, uh, you know, Ward, write that. Go ahead, write that, because we'd always swap stories, you know. And I never got around to writing Biggin. But I, I, it's in the back of my mind, you know, how it is. Uh, but it was a great run. You know what? You, what we need to do is we need to set up one of these podcasts, and let's call it the Jim Nye Black Show for that day, you know, because yeah, we can do that. We can. because people don't realize. They know that the, they know about the success that Jim had, and Jim was a tremendous football coach. Jim had a football mind that was – 25 years ahead of its day. He really was. People are, here's a guy that's in high, a high school football coach, and he and Perry Moss and Bill Peterson would get in a car every summer and they'd drive across the country. They'd go, they'd go to San Diego, for example, to San Diego State, where Don Coriel was the coach. And they'd go out there and learn what Don Coriel was doing. Bill Yeoman in Houston was another guy they would go because he was the first guy that had, that ran the veer offense in a in a major program and he ran a veer offense that was what they would call a pro veer you know some schools ran a veer which was like a wishbone that only he didn't have a fullback he had two backs here and instead of the fullback dive you you the tailback he becomes your dive guy and you're going this way and your pitch guy is your other guy now in the triple option you have you actually had four options, but you, you typically your other halfback. You have a dive guy, which is a fullback. This halfback right here becomes your guy that wipes out. His job is to go wipe out a linebacker, and then the quarterback comes out here and he reads the defensive end and he either keeps it or pitches it to the other trail guy. Okay, Bill Yeoman ran a pro veer, which means that they had all those triple option things available to him. But they also threw the ball. Now, these days and times, Bill Yeoman would have been running that out of the shotgun, and we would ha- we would be calling it the spread. <laughs> <laughs> now, and he would only have a single back, but he'd have a guy in motion. And you know, yeah, Franz, we're gonna have to let you go. It's nine fifty, but we could tell biggin stories. I'm sure. For a long, long time. Um, well, Nyblack knew that. Nyblack was ahead of his game. We ran, if you remember, because you were coaching, we ran the Bill Yeoman Pro Veer with Eddie McShane oh, yeah. in 1968, averaged 49 points a game, and there wasn't a team out there that could beat us. We had end up with a tie, which kept, we would have won the state championship that year, no question about it. But we had a tie in the rain against Edgewater, 20-20 to 20 tie. And yeah. uh, that's a game that Biggin, let's just say that if these officials had come anywhere close to him after the ball game, <laughs> he'd have been in, 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 let's put it this way, if he had been in a closed room with no <laughs> and, and, and these and these five guys that called that game at, at Citizen Field, yeah, there had been no witnesses. <laughs> I hate to think what might have happened to him. <laughs> oh man, Francis, it's been delightful. We got to let you go. I got to do my 
sponsor with the weather. I'm going to close out with that, but we'll do that. We'll stay in touch. And uh, and uh, in honor of Jack Harston, who always wanted me to write the story about the billion, uh, it's, it would it, it'd be writing some of it we'd have to kind of uh, keep off camera. But anyway, uh, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to break now for the weather, and uh, we do have a little storm uh, notification coming across the computer right here where we are. Uh, we have got a big uh, big storm coming, so we're going to break and be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Back with Ward's Weather Report here, brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron, Fossil Fuel, patronize them. Locally owned and uh, great people. Well, 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 we've got as we were breaking here for the weather, which we would normally have done at the bottom of the hour, but we wanted to stay entertained and uh, and taught by Franz Beard. So we're going to close out the show after I do the weather. We've got a weather report coming across right now for the uh, Warthog Command Center that says we got a big storm coming. But out of the tropics, we've been watching this uh, name. It's got, not named yet but it will be called Brett. And it's a cluster of showers and thunderstorms that are located about halfway between Africa 
and the Eastern Caribbean island, I think you can book it that that's going to become a hurricane. They've got it projected. Right now, they're calling it a tropical eye. Uh, Sunday at 8 a.m. to be uh, out almost to the Caribbean and curving up towards uh, the continental U.S. with uh, Florida in its sight. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But do keep your eye on this. I'm absolutely sure it's going to become a hurricane. And it'll be our first name. Actually, I guess our second name storm uh, of the of the year. So uh, this tropical depression will need to become a more well-defined center and its circulation will have to be up around 40 miles an hour. Once it hits 40 miles an hour, uh, they start taking it a little more seriously. So uh, uh, the sun's rays will be warming it and all that business. We're familiar with that. So by all means, keep an eye on Brett, B-R-E-T. Hope you had a great show today. Enjoyed this Rock on Tour hour. Um, you know, coaches and all getting together is always entertaining. A lot of the stories we really can't share publicly but we'll do as best we can and keep you uh, informed. The NIL and the collective was a very interesting story. Please share that as you like. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.